You're listening to the PK Experience Podcast, where I tap into the minds of today's impact players. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the show, and today's impact player is Jen Ruiz. Jen is uh, somebody who has traveled the world many times over. She's been all over to all continents, all sorts of countries, and through that traveling experience, she's gathered so much information on just different travel tips, how to travel on a budget, how to travel alone, especially as a woman, different packing tips, um, what to do to get inspired, places to go that are sort of off the beaten tra- uh, trail. Um, so much cool information. If you're somebody like myself who loves to travel, loves people, loves cultures, um, different experiences that you can experience, she's a great person to go to if you want to expand or create a bucket list. Um, so many things to see and do in the world. She's been featured all over the place from Business Insider to CBS, HuffPo, Elite Daily, um, the local news, et cetera, et cetera. She's got a ton of really great information to share. So it's, I'm excited to share her with you as well. Um, so let's dive into the call. Here I am with Jen Ruiz. All right. I'm here with Jen Ruiz. Jen, thanks so much for joining me on the call today. Thanks for having me, Peter. Um, you are a travel expert. I'm excited to tap into your mind and, and extract some of the wisdom in your experience in traveling the world and traveling solo and doing so while full, working full time. There's just a lot of really interesting uh, things that you've been up to. You're a TED speaker, an author. Um, so again, welcome to the call. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. It's good to be here. Um, so you, uh, your journey is, a, is interesting because I was watching your TED talk and, and doing a little bit of research. And uh, I love sort of the the transformation that you made, I think, even in your own thought, walk us through for those that aren't familiar with your story, how you got into this whole travel bug thing. Sure. So I had initially started traveling and taking one big trip every year in honor of my birthday. My birthday falls on January 3rd. It's right around the Christmas vacation anyways. Um, So around 26, 27, I started to realize that that was a better investment of my time than, you know, trying to plan a big party and have this big hurrah. Um, And I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it and could really make solid memories uh, to commemorate and start each year off fresh. So for my 29th birthday, I took this to a whole other level and I started to realize that I was going to be leaving my 20s, you know, getting into the 30s, a big milestone birthday that most people face and trying to assess where they are at that point. Um, And I wanted to do something big in terms of just a personal achievement. I hadn't been married at the time. I didn't have children. uh, And I think that there was a lot of pressure to accomplish something to by that age to have something to show for, you know, the first 30 years of life. So and I had already, you know, done a lot professionally. I was an attorney. I had other, you know, merits and accomplishments there, but I wanted to do something personally for me. So I took that idea of celebrating a birthday in a big way and I expanded it to take one trip every month before my 30th birthday for my 29th year. Hmm. So I was doing this while I was employed full time and it seemed like a big challenge at first. I didn't know if it was something I'd be able to accomplish. I didn't know much about, you know, affordable flights, travel hacking, any of that before I started. And I just was thrown into it and had to learn by doing. So I was able to find really great travel deals like a $16 flight to Ecuador and a $38 flight to New Zealand. Um, And I started learning how to utilize points and miles to redeem for free travel, 
how to fly with budget airlines, you know, how to be plugged into different sales and deals and airfares through flight alerts. Um, and I just started to become more familiar with that world. At the same time, I already had a travel blog that I had started and worked on for a few years, but I didn't necessarily commit to fully until I found my niche. Cause before I was just doing lifestyle and general kind of fluff pieces. Um, but it was when I stumbled upon travel that I realized it was a passion of mine. Um, so I started to invest professionally into the blog. I went to travel conferences. Um, so one of my trips that year, my year of adventure was Huntsville, Alabama, because there was a travel conference there. And that turned out to be a really great trip for me um, to just really launch and show me where my new path was. So I ended up taking 20 trips in 12 months. I went a little bit crazy when I found all these great deals. Um, and then towards the end of the year, I also started to have a panic that it was actually ending and that I had to kind of fit in as much fun as I possibly could. Um, so I took 20 trips total and I went to amazing destinations, um, Iceland, Cambodia, uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina, the south of France, um, Mexico. I went during uh, whale, whale shark season and I wasn't able to see any of them actually because from the day I landed to the day I left, there was a storm. Um, but I was actually able to dive the underwater museum and I got my first introduction into scuba diving. So there are ways that I kind of redeemed every trip despite any kind of mishaps or things like that. Uh, and it really was an amazing year that changed everything for me. That's so cool. I have found that when I'm traveling that sometimes when your plans fail, that's often when the, the coolest things happen or you stumble upon something you didn't think you would before or whatever. I'm sure that happens a lot um, when you're traveling as much as you have. Um, so you've mentioned several things that I want to follow up on. First and foremost, how do you fly to New Zealand for what was it, $38? Yes. How did you do that? So that's the price of taxes and fees. And when you get award travel or when you redeem points and miles for an award flight or hotel, you end up getting the actual booking for free and you pay the price of taxes and fees. So in this case, I was able to use points that I earned on a credit card that I opened through American Airlines, a co-branded credit card that had a special, you earn 65,000 bonus miles if you spend you know, $3,000 within the first three months. And I redirected my spending. So everything that I would normally buy for those first three months, I just bought it on that card, paid that card off and then I was able to reap those bonus miles to redeem for a flight to anywhere and then New Zealand wasn't even on my list but I and it wasn't until I bought it during my year of venture but I didn't actually take that flight until April of the next year so I just found I start, I wanted to think I have these miles and I know miles are like gold. So I want to spend them on only something that I can never find a cheap flight to again. So I was thinking what is a remote destination that I can get to um but I really want to use these miles and, and get the most bang for them. So Japan was on my list. Um, Kenya was on my list. These kind of places that you don't see a lot of sales for. And then I just ended up stumbling across New Zealand. I'd been to Australia before. I'd spent a summer there. Um, and Australia, while it's the most dangerous of everything, the most dangerous spider, the most dangerous like plant, the most dangerous everything, right. New Zealand is like the opposite. It's like nothing is dangerous. It's the safest place. It's just so serene and green rolling hills and beautiful black sand beaches and um, just a really wonderful place. So I was able to find the flight there for $38, 
but then I didn't have enough miles to get me back. And I think this is where a lot of people get caught up and they're like, oh, well, I knew that there was a catch, these miles things, there's always a, a you know, they never really work. There's always right. a snag, something like that. So first I was flexible in the date that I picked. So that's why I booked in, in April the next year. Cause that was when I saw the flights to New Zealand were the cheapest when I decided that's where I wanted to go. Um, I was flexible on where I went in New Zealand. So there's a North Island and there's a South Island of New Zealand and you can fly into either one of the major airports there. And I went and I saw which one was the cheapest. Auckland in the North Island happened to be the cheapest when I was looking. Um, so I targeted that down. And then I just kind of made sure that I was flexible with my booking. So if I could get the flight there, I just need to find a way back. New Zealand happens to be pretty close to Hawaii. There were some, and I, and I looked through different connecting major hub airports, but Hawaii seemed to be the best deal. Um, it was only like a two, three, not, not too far of a flight, a couple hours, um, maybe more than that. And it was about $200. And then I ended up getting the flight back from Hawaii with the remaining points that I had because Hawaii is a domestic flight. So I could fly from Hawaii to Miami, which is where I was flying out of for the rest of my points. So all together, round trip to and from Miami to New Zealand was about $330. Which that's fairly affordable for uh, a trip of that nature, for sure. Um, for those who are listening and going, well, I don't have you know, three grand to put on a credit card. How do you respond to that? So you can redirect all of your spending and we all spend that kind of thing. So even if you have something big like rent or car payments or things like that, um, and you have to weigh this, but there are services, there's a service called plastic with a Q instead of a C at the end. And it will make a payment for you to places that don't typically accept credit cards. So if let's say they only accept um, a check or cash or whatever the you know thing may be, this Plastic will actually make the payment on your behalf. They'll charge you a fee of like 3%, whatever the case may be. And you'll weigh whether or not that's worth it to you, depending on how much you're, you're doing. Um, but everything, your groceries, your gas, you know, your gym membership, if you'd redirect all of your spending onto one card, you'd be surprised how easy it, it is to reach these minimum spending thresholds. But you also have... Mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead. No, that you also have that added ability to pay places that wouldn't typically even accept credit cards if that's something that's a hesitation. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you had mentioned that another part of the ability to get the rate down so low was because of your willingness to be flexible. Um, for those, and I actually maybe I can ask you first, were, when you first started, were you very, were you more, you know, of a planner and detail oriented and schedule centric and then le learn to loosen up a little bit? Or were you already sort of like, hey, just was figured out and, and you're okay with that. I'm still very much a planner. Um, so once I knew what that destination is, and once I knew the amount of days that I had in the North Island, I made sure I got the perfect itinerary to make the best road trip route and see as much as possible in the limited time that I had. Um, but I'm flexible with where I go. I like to think that I let the deals find me and not the other way around. And that is what has taken me to some unexpected places. So maybe I would have never, you know, I've had in the same way professionally, I've had some press trip opportunities that have come up that have been something that I didn't foresee. So I just came back from Central Asia, Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan. And if you would have told me, you know, a couple months ago, I was going to be in Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan, I would have been like, okay, um, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't have necessarily popped to mind for me. But I've had these really amazing experiences by keeping an open mind and going to places that aren't necessarily where you let people and the deal find you and not the other way around. So for the people who like are, to travel there, sorry. Mm -hmm. You had, you had another thought. I was, I interrupted you. 
no, you're fine. For the people <laughs> who are um, adamant on getting to a certain place at a certain time, I do recommend award travel as a good way of doing that because miles and points will get you almost anywhere for cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, so except like Antarctica, that's going to be really tough. But otherwise, that's your ticket. If you are flexible, then I recommend taking advantage of other tactics like fly alerts, like, you know, air affairs and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it like to, where did you say that you went? Uh, Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan. Yeah. yeah. What was that like? It was great. It was different than what I expected. So for Kazakhstan, before I left, everybody was saying, you know, the only thing that they really knew about it was Borat. Um, and so I had a lot of Borat references. Sure they loved that. I'm sure they loved that. A lot of memes, um, a lot of references to that. So it was surprising i think for people to see a really fully developed you know city center and to see something aside from the villages that were portrayed in that in that film um and for me as well to see that it was such a you know it it was a former part of the soviet union um so the soviet union put a lot of time and effort into getting these hubs together and having a lot of you know art and music and cultural development and and honoring their local culture so there is a lot of that um there in the cities as well and then i think getting out of the cities i expected to see more just barren land so i was surprised when we were hiking alpine lakes you know in places that could have looked like they were somewhere here in the u.s um just really lush green scenery um with some unique features like i'm actually just editing a photo now from the um, Kindy Lake, which has a submerged forest. So it's an upside down forest that happened during an earthquake and the tree trunks um, are emerging from the water. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. What what are some of the other surprises uh, or things that you have not expected when you're traveling? What are some of the things that you've learned just in general overall, um, maybe even about life or yourself? Like what are some big takeaways that you've gotten out of all that? I think every trip is different and I learn something every trip. So I think, and that's been the biggest takeaway of travel is that I don't know it all. And I think that with my youth, I, I did, I, at least I felt like I was the most socially conscious or the most aware, the most right of everything. And I think with traveling, <laughs> you know, you just see that the world is not black and white and you learn to see things from other people's perspective, which can be very eye-opening, especially as an American, because we are in a bubble. Um, so we think that everything has to be done our way all the time. And even that, even now, you know, I have to still learn and adjust myself. I had a lot of difficulties in Central Asia with the lack of the common use of ice um, because I, I got to a point where I had, you know, I wanted it for, I was walking for a lot. So I wanted it for kind of treatment and, and bruises and things like that. And I just didn't have it readily available. And I had to kind of step back and try to well, first I found a solution and I made ice myself in any mini fridge that I had. So that worked. Um, a mini fridge? They had mini fridges at some of the hotels. So I was oh, like, okay. I don't understand. You have water, you have the capability of making ice, you put them together, you got ice. Um, so, but it's just not something that they think of. It's not something that they use. It's that's something that's very culturally U.S. We are used to ice machines on every single floor of the hotel. Right. And I like legitimately use them. I use them to cool down my water. I use it to extend my water. If I only have half a liter of water left, you know, I put it in a whole thing of ice and all of a sudden I have more water. Mm-hmm. So, um, like I just use it for so many things. And I think that that's something that I have to come back later and kind of, you know, like shame on me for being so rigid about that and not understanding the way it is. So I think in 
two in two ways. I learned a lot of lessons there. First, you know, always keeping an open mind, always kind of being mindful of other people and not insulting or being mean about their culture or their ways, understanding it's just different. Um, and then also preparing yourself for travel so that the best that you can, you can be comfortable and have everything that you need to really do this trip in a non-agitated way. Um, and I think that's the case, especially when Americans travel to someplace as drastically different as Asia, where you're dealing with a lot of different everyday things that we're just not used to. Squat right. toilets are another one of them um, that was a big adjustment for me. And I think that that's something that if you are prepared for, that you can better deal with, you can you know, kind of look for accommodations that have what you need, things like that. Oh my gosh, for sure. I, you know, travel really should be like a prerequisite to life before you really kind of anchor in and settle in, you know, wherever you're at. I just feel like I've learned so much um, traveling. Uh, I went down to Guatemala many, many years ago. And for the first time when I went down there, you know, in my head, all I, uh, the only imagery I knew, kind of like you were saying, you know, we have such limited perspectives on these different parts of the world, but the only perspective I had of Guatemala was just very solemn, sad kids with flies flying around their face. Cause that's, those are the commercials that we saw growing up was like, save these hungry kids. And you know, that's, since that was the only image I had in my head, when I went down there and you go to some of these uh, poorer areas, I, I was so surprised to see the kids were happy. They were playing soccer, they're running around, you know, and the, and the adults were happy too. I mean, obviously you could see that there was a weight that they carried because life is not easy down there for that part of the the country but it all of a sudden just clicked in my head like who am I to just impose my standards uh, of a way of living uh, to somebody else like being uninformed I would would have thought like oh I'm sure they would all want to be up here in America because it's amazing and we have all this stuff but I, I bet you 90% of the people if you said hey we'll uh, uproot you and do this that's home like that's their home that's what they're used to and it just was kind of an eye-opener to me like I'm just imposing my standards of, of a way of life on to these people that, you know, are, are quite happy in many ways. And then obviously I'm not saying that it's amazing or perfect. Uh, certainly they need help, but yeah, it's just, it's eye opening. It's eye opening. Yeah. Some could argue. So do we. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> nowhere right. else has mass shootings. Nowhere else has such a negligence on healthcare. Like some could argue America's dangerous. You know, there's a lot of warnings against us. So I think it's all just a matter of perspective, but we do have that unfortunate feeling of superiority. Um, and I love the U S and I love living here and I love the modern comforts that I have and, and the lifestyle that I'm used to. Um, but I do think that there's something to be said for understanding that not the entire world wants to be the U S um, and that traveling allows you to see that. And that it's given the choice, most people would stay where they are. They have a lot of pride and love for their countries. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 funny to me because uh, I will get people. My uh, ex-wife was from Guatemala, and her family. You know, like when the Ferguson stuff was going down, which is. 20, 30 minutes away from us. Uh, many years ago, there was those riots and uh, other upheaval that made global news. And, uh, you know, they're all saying like, is it okay? Are you safe? There was, you know, it's like a tiny street corner. And yeah, there was, there was definitely some things going on, but I went down there, saw some stuff, but it, you know, once you were 15, 20, 30 minutes away from it, you're told it was just as safe as anywhere else. Um, it's just funny how I think people look at wherever you're at, you just don't know. It's not familiar. You don't know. And, and all you see is, you know, things burning down or shootings or whatever. Um, what are some, what are some of the, the positive things like having left America when you return back home, what are some of the things that you're like, oh, I can't wait to get back to that. Like, what is, what is it about American culture? Um, have you gotten any perspective that, that 
increases your uh, appreciation for the American culture? Yes, so many things. <laughs> I love that we use credit cards everywhere. Credit cards are taken everywhere. I don't like to carry cash on me. I don't like to have to take it out. I don't like to have coins. I don't like to have to worry about finding change. And I like to just have credit cards. And I, there are some places that baffle me. I mean, I was in Barcelona a few years ago, and maybe they've updated it since then. But I was in their biggest stadium, Camp New, that houses the FC Barcelona soccer team. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're giant team and you're at a stadium with thousands of people and they only took cash for the concessions so i either you know i had to just kind of starve during the whole game because i only had credit with me or not enough to buy what it is i wanted to buy there um and it was so disappointing because it's a major city so in america i mean you can take credit cards everywhere everywhere you name it somebody will hop out like their little phone they'll put on a little attachment and boom you got a credit card taker right markets everywhere i love that um, <laughs> especially because you know points miles credit cards um, right. um also i love our facilities and that they're free so free public restrooms are such something that you take for granted but when you're in places like europe or south america you have to pay you know 50 cents a euro you know to use the restroom and i don't always have that on me and sometimes i just want to use the restroom sometimes okay. you really need to go so i mean like, public restrooms are everywhere here i was walking the other day in wyoming just down i was in a press trip in cody and i was just walking down the street and i just realized there's a place where it's just like restrooms and i was like how lovely we just have restrooms to spare we just throw them everywhere like, need to use them <laughs> and like nice ones not like you know porta potties but like right. actual restrooms yeah. um what else? I think those are two such minor things that I take for granted. Um, the pace of things. So I'm used to things moving so quickly in the U.S. And I like that because I move quickly. I have things to do. I'm very ambitious. And I think when you go to other places, even now I'm in Puerto Rico, for instance, um, which is part of the U.S., but it's still very distinctly a Caribbean essence. Um, and so here, the kind of manana mentality rules. And I was in McDonald's the other day day for like, I just I was just trying to go through the drive-thru I just wanted to make a quick stop I just wanted four chicken nuggets and I just wanted to go on about my way pay like a dollar something and, and continue my shopping because I was just I just wanted something to keep me going because I'm right. running errands and somehow I ended up in the line for at least 20 minutes in the, in the drive-thru. I mean, there weren't that many cars. There were like two cars already. I was the first one into the actual ordering box. There were just cars at the windows. This is how long it took to process everybody. Instead of getting four chicken nuggets, I didn't realize that they only serve chicken nuggets in servings of 10. So they gave me four servings of 10. So I ended up with 40 chicken nuggets. Oh. And, and instead of spending a dollar, I spent 13. So overall, it was definitely different than what I'm used to and in the U.S. I would have fixed the problem but in Puerto Rico at this point I got people behind me it's taking me 20 minutes to get this far I just gotta pay my $13 take my 40 chicken nuggets and keep it moving (laughs) (laughs) there's nothing else I could do and America's not like that America's amazing you can speak to somebody you can get an error rectified you can get money sent back you can get a credit you can get all kinds of things and this is just not the case in other places and I love the U.S. for so many reasons. And I think we do have a lot of issues, but it's really the one place that I truly call home. Yeah, you know, I never go to McDonald's here, but I'll tell you, there is something about when you're traveling overseas and you don't know where to go or you're hungry and you're, or maybe you don't trust the food or maybe you've had a bad experience already or just doesn't, 
you know, it hasn't set well with you or whatever. McDonald's is like, you know, and for whatever reason, the quality seems to be better over there. I don't know if it's just different here or there or whatever, but whenever I've traveled, I, I remember one time I was at, in Rome, we were going to the Vatican and it was so hot and it was like, and they had these, uh, they had actual vending machines where you could buy something and it wasn't cold. Like you were talking about earlier with the ice. Mm-hmm. I, that seems like such a no brainer thing to me as an American, but you know, I'm outside, it's hot, it's, you know, 95 degrees and I need something to drink and it's not cold. It just, Oh, it doesn't satisfy your, your thirst. And then, you know, you look up and you see the golden arches and it's just like, Oh, you know, to, to get a, to, you know, and over there, they're like super size large is like the size of our micro meat, you know, small. Yeah. <laughs> That, that's the other thing is we eat so much here that the portion sizes are enormous compared to at least from where I've traveled around. And um, sugar. And I had a, so my sugar. first hot chocolate in Australia was like just drinking cacao. Like it was just the most <laughs> <laughs> bitter and that's how they drink it. I mean, I felt excessive, but I, I had to put at least three different packets of actual sugar in it before it started to taste like the chocolate that I'm accustomed to. Right. Um, so yes. What what are some of the adventures that you've gotten yourself into? You've talked about an underwater museum, upside down forest. What are, so so those are some of the things that you've seen, but what about some of the adventures? Have you, have you had any, you know, hairy situations? Sure. A ton of them. Yeah. Um, All the time. So (laughs) things always go wrong. Um, So I think that's, that's part of the fun too, because you know that while it's happening, you're panicking and you're just like, let this be over as soon as possible. Um, But then afterwards you're like, Oh, it's a funny story. Um, So in Mexico, actually, when I mentioned the storm, that was really disheartening for me because I'd already been to Cancun before and I didn't have the best memories from like that party trip. So I wanted to redeem the location and I was hesitant (laughs) to go, but I, I went only for the whale shark experience. It's only like June through July. Like it's only two months in the summer. Um, there's not very many places you can see them. People go to the Philippines to do this. And so I really felt lucky that I was so close to Mexico and that I could knock out this bucket list item. Um, so I went there and like I said, I, just, I don't know what happened. The storm followed me there. It literally started pouring the day I got there and was finishing the day I left. So I oh. don't know why I had that terrible luck. Um, I lost my car keys while I was there, the rental car keys. And so the rental car key replacement costs more than the rental car rental <laughs> itself. Um, that was so fun. Yeah. And, then, um, and then I still was like, no, I'm not leaving. Like I came here to redeem Cancun. I insist there has to be something that can be done. So I called everybody to see anything that could be done in, in, in exchange, you know, since I couldn't do this whale trip anymore um, because of the weather. And these people that I found, like one of like maybe the 15th people that I called um, were a dive shop that was still open. They said, if I can get there before it started like really pouring down that day that I, they could take me out to the underwater museum. So I go, I, I do this. I have the diving experience. Um, I get a little seasick before I take my first dive. And, maybe, and real well, quick, what, what is the under, uh, underwater museum? Like, what is it a museum of? It's uh, under, submerged sculptures, different ones. Um, and they're just about 90 miles off the coast of Cancun in between Cancun and Isla Mujeres. Mm-hmm. And they're about 25 meters, so maybe 70 feet deep or so. Um, so it's a very shallow dive that people can do without a full dive certification. You don't need your full paddy underwater certification for this. You just do a mini cert before you go yeah. um, where they teach you the basic signaling and how to use the oxygen tank and all of that. Um, and you can see, I mean, there's a Volkswagen car that's submerged there. Um, so over the 
many years. They've developed coral reefs on them. I mean, you have like groups of people. I mean, very different images. It's like an art museum of sort. Hmm. And, um, but you know, they need to work on getting like an underwater guide with you so you can listen as you float because there's really just um, what we were able to learn on the boat on the way there. Right. Um, so even then after that went really successfully, uh, we had ceviche that the people back at the dive shop had actually prepared for me while I was diving. And I thought, you know, I've done it. I have redeemed the day. Um, and then I get to the ferry only to realize that somewhere along the way I've lost my wallet. Oh, and, so, and, so, and I don't the other girl. I know. And I, did, I was really just, and I was on such a high. So to come from this, like, I just did it. I, I, I did it. I got my fresh ceviche. I went diving for the first time. Like I have a memorable day to go to like empty my bag three times over. Like if magically a pocket's going to appear where the wallet is hidden um, on the ferry on the way there. So that was really fun because it was raining. My hair was frizzy. I looked semi-homeless by the side of the ferry just, and also semi-crazy putting stuff into a bag, taking stuff out of a bag, putting stuff into the bag, taking stuff out of the bag. Um, So eventually it was left at the dive shop. I didn't have a method of contacting them at that point. They found it and I was able to get it back to me they, they brought it on the ferry back to me to cancun and i was able to get my wallet back with everything still in it um so things work out but i think in the moment as they're happening you're just panicking like at that moment i was thinking i have absolutely no money it's raining i want to get home it's been a long day um and i actually i think people maybe thought i really was homeless because they just donated me money and i got on the ferry with the money that they donated me and made it back somehow with that <laughs> that's funny are you are you at all um, worried about your safety for some of this? And obviously you have a book on this, you know, an entire book on female travel, solo travel. Um, at what point does safety come into play and, and what do you do in that kind of situation? Um, always. So I think you always try to be cautious, aware of your surroundings. Um, I never carry too many valuables on me, cash for that reason. Um, some cash, you know, to have something to hand over, but not too much cash where all of a sudden I'm, you know, stuck without it. I try to have different piles of things as well. So I'll like set aside a different credit card. So if now after losing my wallet, if I lose my wallet, I'll still have a credit card and reserve it in the hotel when I get back there. Um, where I stay, if I stay at a property, I make sure I read all the reviews for that property. If I stay at an Airbnb or a rental, I make sure that I try to stay with a super host or somebody that's had solo female travelers with them before and that they've rated them well and rated the area well. I do a lot of research into the areas that I'm staying in. I do tend to get more comfortable in places that speak Spanish because I'm Puerto Rican, so I speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that does tend to lull me into a false sense of security in some places because I don't feel as lost or as hyper aware as I would in a situation where I can't even read the street signs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have had issues in like my only issue with an uber was in buenos aires and there i felt overly comfortable i feel because i understood spanish and i'm talking with the uber very friendly so i got into the front seat and the uber driver actually tried to kind of like like steal a kiss from me on the way to the airport and that was a very scary situation because i was in the kind of side of the road. I didn't have anywhere to go. I didn't, nobody knew where I was. And this, and this person could easily overpower me. So I had to find a way to get out of that situation. Um, and I think that that's something where I learned, you know, never sit in the front seat of an Uber, always give yourself right. distance and time to really react. Cause that's really the most 
I've taken self-defense classes before because I've lived alone for many years and that's always what the principles are. Like you're not really here to fight someone and be Jackie Chan because even if you are Jackie Chan and you can fight amazingly, you're never going to leave a fight unscathed. Like it's always going to hurt in some way. Um, like it, it doesn't, punching something doesn't mean that you're automatically made of steel and it doesn't hurt you as well. So the best way to avoid these things is to have space reaction time and and have a way to avoid and something altogether. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. What are some of the other um, tips on avoiding? Cause you know, like you were saying, just little things that somebody might take for granted carrying being a target, you know, having jewelry on things that we think are normal here. You don't even think about it. Um, going out at night, you know, you can go out and walk around here for the most part in America at night, just about anywhere. Obviously there's pockets where you wouldn't, but, um, what are some of the other things that you can recommend so that somebody avoids while they're doing solo travel, even getting into a situation like that in the first place, anything come to mind? I think it really does vary on where you are. Um, because like, for instance, I've walked alone at night in Banos, Ecuador, which is a really small you know, middle of nowhere hill town in Ecuador and very safe. And I just felt okay there, but um, in some other places, maybe not. So I think being aware of where you are, the neighborhood that you're staying in, the transportation method that you're using. So if you're going to be using public transport, is it, does it close at a certain time at night? You know, is there a certain time that you feel more comfortable using it? Is it sketchy at night? Should you use it during the day? Um, if you are using a taxi or an Uber, or whatever kind of other services available, do you have a way of, you know, kind of tracking where it's going? Do you have any way of letting someone know where you are? Um, I always stay in contact. I have a checkpoint with my mom essentially like every single day if she doesn't hear from me by a set time she will go insane and hunt me down until she does um Mm -hmm. and i appreciate that because it means somebody will recognize if something has happened to me you know and not weeks later but immediately um and i think you need to have that person that's keeping track of you and that is trying to and that you've sent your itinerary and they know where you're staying and your hotel room number and all of that um i don't think one place is safer than another, or I don't think that one type of lodging is safer than another because things can happen anywhere, anytime. And I think it's, it's more of the first, your awareness, your ability to spot a dangerous situation and react accordingly. So if somebody's walking down the street and they have a cane and they're swinging it, you know, sometimes canes can be used to hide weapons. And sometimes that people can be crazy, like cross the street before it even gets to the point where you're in that vicinity. And -hmm. I think people who react that way or people who kind of preemptively act, um, are the people that do better. And if, if you're already constantly thinking this way, if you already have that in mind, if you're already kind of walking cautiously, you're going to be looking much less like a victim than somebody who's walking with a map out and looking like a tourist and texting somebody on their phone. I mean, first, I mean, I would never, ever look at a map out while in the middle of the street in a new city. I just wouldn't do that. I would look at a map. I would go into the restaurant. I would go into the bathroom. I would do something and orient myself that way. I wouldn't orient myself out in the open because it's attracting attention that says that you don't know where you are. Um, You can wear whatever jewelry you want. And as a general rule, I don't take expensive jewelry. One, because I lose things. And two, because it- (laughs) We've established that. (laughs) Yeah. And it it, it attracts attention. So I only bring like cheap costume jewelry that I feel okay matching with whatever kind of flamboyant outfit that I'm wearing while on vacation. You know, my fabulous dress or uh, bathing suit or something like that. So I wouldn't bring your most prized heirlooms or possessions definitely at all. Um, 
where you keep your belongings is up to you. Some people carry their passports with them on their person. They have like kind of those under purses that go under the clothing and things like that. So people keep it in the hotel safe. Um, I've been in safes before. The thing with safes is that everybody has like a safe code to open it if all else fails. Right. Right. And that makes me nervous. So I don't know. I've, I've, gone back and forth with them sometimes in a hotel i'll put it in a safe in private rentals usually not because they'll have a kind of override key um so i'll usually try to keep it on my person somehow in a safer place than most of my other belongings um you talk about traveling while still working full-time how are you doing is is most of the travel just closer by obviously so you can kind of get to where you're going and back by work or are you taking time off or how do how do you have a full-time job and travel at the same time? I will know that I transitioned to blogging and travel writing full-time last April. Okay. So I've been working remotely for the last year and a couple months. Um, but I was working as a lawyer and traveling full-time during my year of adventure. So, um, so were you just doing like long weekends or just even over the weekend or local travel or how, how did you, how did you manage that? A couple of things. So first, I was lucky enough to make the switch from private law to nonprofit law, and that gave me a more generous vacation package to begin with. I think a lot of people in the U.S. are very limited by only, you know, two weeks a year or something of the sort and no kind of wiggle room. The number one step is at the moment that you're getting hired because it's going to be harder to negotiate from there moving forward. But at the moment that you know that they want you, ask for more vacation time. Try to ask for perks in these different ways so that you can get into a space where you have have more of a work-life balance. And that was crucial for me because in private law, we had no vacation time. And now in nonprofit law, we get out at five o'clock every day and we have vacation time. So it was like the world opened up to me. And I think a lot of people get stuck in these positions, think just for fear of change, but you should look for something that's more accommodating to your lifestyle if time is of value to you. Um, From there, I did take long weekends and I did work with the holidays that were already existing. So because it was a more generous package, I had different holidays. Sometimes I had Martin Luther King day. Sometimes I had uh, president's day. You know, we had a gratuitous day in between 4th of July that fell on a Tuesday. So we got that Monday off to celebrate 4th of July weekend. Mm-hmm. So I would take advantage of those existing days off that we had. And we had a pretty good kind of bankers holidays. Um, and then I would tack on my days to that. So on that 4th of July weekend, I was able to take six days in the south of France using only a total of two vacation days mm-hmm. that I, I took. Um, so that was part of how I allocated and used them. And I had all these days set out and purposefully saved them and took them when I needed them. Um, I think from there, yes, closer locations were easier. So Cuba, for instance, was only a half hour from Miami. So that made it really easy to fly down, be there that same you know morning or afternoon, and then come back, leave Monday morning, be back at work by 9 a.m. Um, so that was something that I did. I, I push the time limits in that sense. So I would go straight from the airport into work. Um, and I just, I made it a priority. I don't have, like I said, I don't have children. I didn't have pets. I didn't have anything demanding my time. So I had that kind of freedom to pick up and go as I wanted. Um, and I think even the people that don't can still find ways to escape with day trips, with local things, with kind of lesser known, you know, Florida has a place where you can swim with manatees. And a lot of people are worried about going to South beach in Miami, but like swimming with manatees, that's pretty cool. You can only do that in a few 
on earth. Um, So you can really experience these cooler things in your own states. I just came back from Cody, Wyoming, and that was on my way into Yellowstone. And I had no idea I would love Cody so much. You know, it was an authentic old West town with shootouts and a lot of really cool museums and original buildings. So I think you can find things to do closer to home than you think. That's very true. We take so much for granted our local spots. It's whenever I move somewhere for whatever reason, like the last month before I move, all the amazing things about that area tends to pop up a, a restaurant or a museum or this or that. I'm like, how, do, how did I not even see that? But you're right. We're just not intentional. We're not even looking uh, what's in our own backyards. Um, and sometimes I'll wake up and I'll, you, you know, cause you kind of get into a mundane routine in your local area. And it's like, this, when you travel, sometimes you'll travel somewhere to where you see the everyday person there and they're living the mundane routine life. But for you, it's this amazing adventure because you've never been there before. So sometimes I try to think of like, well, what if I just, what if I was traveling here? Like, where would I want to go? What would I want to do? Even though it's something I've already seen, it kind of helps me see my own local area in a different perspective. Um, Absolutely. I I recommend, I highly recommend being a tourist in your own city and getting into that mindset. So saying, I'm going to go out and I'm going to see this, this, and this today. I'm going to hop on the tourist bus. I'm going to go to the hot new restaurant. You know, I'm going to do these things as a tourist would even make up a backstory, become a tourist, give yourself a new name. You know, if it helps you get into the groove and kind of feel like you have this new perspective on an old place. So when you were mentioning that people look for McDonald's and foreign places, so people look for the familiar and the unfamiliar. So McDonald's, when you're somewhere completely new, is comforting. And in the same way, people look for the unfamiliar and the familiar. So when you're in a place where you've been your whole life, you want to see something new and different. And I think that finding that balance within yourself is really important. Oh, for sure. Um, you said that you're, tra- uh, you're, you're a travel blogger full time now. How do you make money doing that? So I monetize my website. I have a uh, high traffic to my website and I have ads on my website that run and give me money that way. I also have three books on Amazon um, and that gives me money every month from Amazon royalties. And I have different um, sponsored trips, press trips, things like that. Uh, freelance articles that I'll do for different media outlets that also give me money. How did you get it to that point? Because so many people talk about, you know, they love photography. Oh, they'd love to do travel, you know, travel and take photographs and earn a living doing that. Or they just love to travel or eat or food or culture. They want to, how did you get it to the point to where there was, there was enough awareness and traffic so that you could actually monetize it? I actually did it. Like, I think a lot of people talk about it and they say how nice it would be, but then people get so fearful of taking a risk that they just don't do it. I quit my full-time attorney job. I quit my 10-year public service loan forgiveness program on ways to forgiving 250,000 in student loans and said, that's okay. I'm going to do this instead and I'm going to go full time at it. So I'm going to learn how to make it a business. I'm going to invest in conferences. I'm going to watch workshops, every free workshop out there that is relevant to me. I have listened to it. You know, I didn't land a TEDx talk by magic. I land a TEDx talk because I'm listening to workshops, learning how to phrase my proposals, you know, learning how to do a video interview, all of these things. So I'm kind of self-taught in that sense. Same with self-publishing, learning how to book together a book, learning where to get covers from. And I just devoted all of my 
free time while I was working to building this business because I was still blogging while I was working. Um, when at the time that I quit, my traffic still wasn't where I wanted it to be. So now that I was doing it full time, I worked on SEO, which I knew was going to be how I was going to get the smartest traffic. Mm-hmm. I think before a lot of people make the error of putting all their efforts into social media, but people never click on the link in bio. People don't go to your website and you don't own your social media profile. So search engine optimization, making sure that SEO, making sure that your posts show up on page one of Google is what's going to bring people to you even when you're not trying, even when you're not actively promoting, even when you're sleeping. Um, And that's what I invested a lot of my time in. I went to different workshops. I joined a group called Make Traffic Happen on Facebook with my friends, Gemma and Laura. Um, They have different books on optimizing your website and how to make every post intentional. I come, like, I don't write a random post anymore. I'm not just like, this is my vacation in the South of France. No, I look and I do keyword research to see what are people searching for regarding the South of France? How can I phrase this so that it matches with what people are searching for so that I, Google knows that when people search for this term, my article should be the article that they show on page one. So I put a lot of time into learning that and that's how I was able to multiply my traffic tenfold in a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's because I had a site that was already five years old that I'd already tried on several different, you know, names and and niches and it didn't work for me, but I have a site that's old. It has authority. It has content. It's seen as legitimate in Google's eyes. And the minute I actually just got my things together and learned what I was doing and actually just stopped taking a stab in the dark, it wasn't that hard. Um, But I think a lot of people, first, with people that start with blogging, they just want to put out whatever story they want to write, not understanding that you have to write for Google's eyes for Google to be able to show you as a result. And that's what you want. Because you don't want people to have to work hard to find you. You want it to be clear. And then you can get your message across. And I think a lot of people get so hesitant. They're like, no, I only want to write my way. No, I only want to do it the way I've been doing it. You can't. Like, I mean, you just have to, if you can still say whatever you're going to say, but if nobody finds your post, then it's pointless. So I think that was a big mindset shift that I have that a lot of bloggers who struggle to find success haven't embraced. Um, Yeah. Yeah. that's a really good point. I, the people that I know that are creating content online, and I've, I've been in this space, so I know a lot of what you're talking about, but I know the average person is not as familiar with SEO and keywords, uh, keyword you know, research and how to write on-page content and all that kind of stuff. But um, I found that just that little bit of keyword research is so eye-opening for the average person to realize that there is you know, a difference between like, let's say you're traveling to France and you just post a, a blog on traveling to France versus being very intentional to how do you, you know, what's the, what's the coolest art museum in France or where's the, whatever, like you can create specific niche content within those different areas. And it sounds like that's what you're doing, which is super cool. Uh, do you mind me asking how many visitors approximately do you get to your site? I'm curious to gauge what it takes to have a full-time uh, travel blog. I just crossed a hundred thousand visitors a month. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, and then wh- like, what is your audience when you're writing? Yes, you're writing for Google and the, and the search engines to some extent, but I imagine you're also, you have in mind an audience. Clearly you, you speak to solo female travelers. Do you have other niches that you write for as well? I'd say young professionals generally. So people who have the money to travel, um, want to start traveling, want to find a way to fit travel into a busy schedule, but maybe don't know where to start. Maybe don't have that much experience with it. Maybe don't have anybody to go with and are just looking to go somewhere outside of the box, like outside of your normal Paris trip. Mm -hmm. Um, 
where's been the favorite place that you've been so far? I've had a lot of really amazing experiences. Um, So the place on my phone screensaver is the south of France because I went there in July when the lavender was in full bloom, the sunflowers were shining. I love art and I was able to find the real life places that Van Gogh painted. Um, So that was really wonderful for me to compare, you know, the picture and my photography. Um, So that was a very calming experience for me and it stuck with me as a happy place because everything about that trip was easy it went really smoothly it was just so scenic mm-hmm. um a minute i got out of paris and went to the south of france um and the gorge du verdun was just amazing but um i'd also say cambodia was one of uh, one of the most memorable places um so sunrise at angkor wat is the very popular bucket list item for most people and it it was very crowded you'll find 3,000 people there Um, and that was amazing but I really enjoyed just exploring the temples I was able in Asia things are very affordable so I was able to get a private guide for the day in a luxury SUV with leather interior and a cooler full of like all the cold ice water I could possibly want you know Um, and even a little towel to like wipe my brim if I needed it so it was just the pure luxury for like, like six hours or so um, and it was a hundred dollars. So I treated myself to that experience and I had the private guide with me the whole time. And he was able to explain to me more about the temples, um, take different photography around the area. We went to the Tomb Raider temple from uh, Laura Croft Tomb Raider, the one that was made famous by the movie. Um, I was able to kind of see the differences between the culture because depending on who the ruling king was worshiping at the time they would change the statues from like hindu to buddhist um so it was a really great experience for me and a good learning experience and also just realizing that this is an underrated monument i mean it gets less visitors than a major national park in the u.s and it's the oldest religious monument in the world like it's really underrated it's not even a world wonder like it should be Mm. What do you think um, the value is in general for travel? Like if you have a message to tell people who are thinking about it or whatever, what would you say to them to sort of sell the idea of world travel? I think it makes you a more open-minded person. So I think that you learn things that you didn't know that you didn't know. So I think like I didn't know where anything was in Central Asia before I went there. And now I can point things out on a map and talk about their history and identify them as a people. And I think that 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 in and of itself, just expanding your knowledge when you think that you already know enough, learning that there's so much more out there is so valuable because I value lifelong learning. Like I think that people should try to stay sharp. It keeps your brain sharp. It keeps you engaged. It keeps you, it it releases endorphins to learn something new. So I think that people should see that in and of itself as, you know, worthwhile when you go somewhere. If nothing else, you did something new, you learned something new, you went somewhere new. And even if everything went horribly, you still had that new experience and you had the courage to try something outside of your comfort zone. So I think that should be applauded. Um, And then I think just being able to, find different things that you enjoy. So I had no idea. I really love cooking classes as much as I do. And I love taking cooking classes all over the world now. It's amazing in Asia and Italy, you know, all these different places. Um, And so finding that you can do these different activities that maybe you would have never done at home, but that you're actually really quite passionate about when you start to travel. Um, Yeah. And I think just in general, meeting new people as well. So I, as a solo traveler, that's definitely one of the most valuable things for me because when I travel alone, I don't have any other choice unless I'm going to be mute and just not talk to anybody or anything at all during my whole trip. Every single person I talk to is going to be a new person. And that 
usually when you're alone, it invites longer conversations. People feel a need to fill the space or entertain you or make you want to leave with a good view of their country. Nobody wants you to be alone and have a miserable time and then go back home and say that country sucked. So they try to make sure that you see special things and that you, you know, are aware of special events and they invite you with them. I was invited with a Balinese family to a ceremony during a special holiday where I was the only non-Balinese person in the entire temple and they dressed me up and they, you know, put a flower in my hair and they had me sit with them and I had no idea what was going on but I definitely felt like I was part of like I was in Bali at that point like this is happening um and I think that those are really cool experiences and that's definitely an added benefit of being a solo traveler oh my gosh what a cool experience yeah oh that's awesome um what about uh like what's on your bucket list now you mentioned checking off some of those boxes do you have other what's the next biggest thing you want to check off a uh, couple of things. I'd like to go to Easter Island. I want to see the monuments there. Um, and I think it's a difficult destination to reach. So not a lot of people will see it. Um, I'd love to climb Mount Kilimanjaro if I have it in me to last the five days outside. That's wow. the one I've been wanting to do for the longest time. And I figure like now's the time because you only get older and knee problems only get worse. So I feel like my mountain hiking days are limited. So I really would like to venture into something like that. And Turkey, as far as like just my next big leisurely vacation, I've been meaning to visit Turkey for a long time now um, to see Istanbul, uh, Ephesus, and uh, the salt salt mines at, at Pumacali, I believe. Um, so I'd like to, and the hot air balloons at Cappadocia as well. So Turkey's the, my next big one. Was that last one, the hot air, what? The hot air balloons at Cappadocia. Gotcha. They have like these cave hotels. So they're these natural like chimney hoodoo structures, uh, these rock formations. And then they have cave hotels that are built into the rocks. And then every day, dozens of balloons take off at the same time. So it's just incredibly scenic. I mean, it's blown up all over Instagram, but it's just, um, it's a beautiful place. And they've had this tradition of ballooning there for, you know, centuries. So it's really an experience and it's one that I'd like to have soon. Oh man. So uh, that whole idea of experience to me is, is uh, maybe what this whole thing is about being on planet earth is, is having experiences. Cause um, well, like what are some of the other really cool ones? Cause I want to literally, I want to make a, a note or a list of the different things. Cause I, I don't know that I've ever heard of that a, or would come across that. What are some of the other ones that, that excite you? Cause I'm, I want to make a list too. <laughs> Yeah, there's some really cool things out there. So you can go into an ice cave in Iceland and also in certain places in Canada and North America. So it's a cave made completely of ice and everything. It's like if you're in the middle of a real life frozen. Um, And I think that that's, and you can also in Iceland actually ski or ski, dive, scuba dive in between continental plates in Silfra. It's one of the only places in the world. It is the only place in the world where you can do that. Um, We mentioned the whale sharks. Yeah. Um, I would say tango dancing in Buenos Aires or in, in Argentina in general should be a bucket list item because they have such rich, you know, tango culture. Um, tapas in Spain. So you have to go and eat your way in, in these, but like tapas the real way, not like on a, like tapas with for lunch, but like tapas at midnight, 1 a.m. when you're in a place full of Spaniards <laughs> and there's absolutely no tables in these places, everybody's standing. So you're like huddled in a group of five people eating your little like tortilla. Um, while, and then you go from like one drink, one food, and then the next restaurant and you're out till 6 a.m. Like that's 
that bus. Um, so I love how it has nothing to do with the food, but like the people and the energy and the, you know, Pura Latina, it's like, uh, it's to me, it's very Latin that the, the energy and the fun and the party, but it does, it like, it makes the food better. It makes the, the whole experience so much better. Yeah, and Madrid, I mean, really just takes it to another level. Madrid will be out till 6, and then take people, and they'll be back at work at 10 a.m. Like, it's crazy. They really go late there. Um, there's a forest in I Japan. Are you – yeah, I know. It's, a, it's, it's intense, though. After a couple of days, you're like, I don't know how they do it, and they all look so put together, and they all have a full face of makeup, like, you don't even look. <laughs> you know, like, like I don't know. Uh, it's magic. Um, but if you – have you ever read The Lorax by Dr. Seuss? Dr. Seuss? Oh, gosh, a while ago, yeah. Well, the Lorax is a book about these really special truffle trees, and they have this fabric that's so in demand that the human beings, you know, harvest it all until it's all gone, and they ruin the earth, and that's the moral of the story. But there's a place in Japan where it looks like the truffle trees, like it legitimately, like a real-life truffle tree forest. Um, Wait, what is that called? Places. The actual name of I, I just Googled truffle tree forest, okay. Japan. And that's how I, I just dream of it one day because I don't know the exact name. I forget right now. Um, but it's just so beautiful. So there's a lot of, um, I mean, the tulip fields in Amsterdam, you know, and they also have cheese festivals during the summer where they just have giant wheels of cheese that they just roll down the street. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of bucket list things. I love that. What about domestically? Are there some surprises that you kind of have come up uh, come across here in the U.S.? Yes, absolutely. Um, so Havasu Falls is a great bucket list item in the U.S. It's, it's the Native American um, territory in the middle of the Grand Canyon. It's a 10-mile hike in and out, but they have these undisturbed waterfalls, three of them, um, that are just gorgeous. And all of Arizona really has so much to offer. Utah and the canyons there, it looks like a whole other planet. You know, the arches, Joshua Tree National Park, I mean, California. Um, you can get a lot of really nice nature things out west, you know, Glass Pebble Beach um, in Northern California, things like that. Yeah. Oh, did I lose you? you I've only, mm-hmm. I lost you for a second. Oh, sorry. You're back. Great. <laughs> uh, were, you, were you with me with Wyoming? I heard uh, Glass Pebble Beach, and then it kind of tapered off. So um, Yellowstone was really surprising to me. I think all of our national parks are really unique. Um, you can go to Key West, I mean, and go diving there and really get an experience. Like if you are near in the Caribbean. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot Portland, Maine, you know, the lobsters there are amazing. And, and just having that local culture. And if you go on a beautiful day, um, you can see the cliffs and the water and it's, it's very scenic. Um, upstate New York. I've been in upstate New York for a couple of months and they had so much to offer there. So they had New York is the third largest producer of wine in the U S they have the finger lakes, wine and cheese trails. Um, they have world-class museums there. They have the largest zip line in North America in Hunter Mountain. Um, they have the Culinary Institute of America. So like fine art, uh, fine cooking. Um, they have a lot of things, I think, in the U.S. And, and Coop, Cooperstown is up there for baseball. Yep. Uh, yep. And I yep. think, uh, no, not Cooperstown, but Jamestown just opened a comedy center. Um, and it's the hometown of Lucille Ball. So they opened now a comedy center where they're having comedy shows and they have like kind of the history of comedy and this whole big dedicated, you know, comedy space. Right. Um, so that's, I think, a good one for people that want 
when I just see a good show or I just enjoy the history of that. Um, Woodstock, they have the world's largest kaleidoscope. So you can actually go inside an old silo turned kaleidoscope and watch like a laser light show. Wow. It's really cool. Have you been to uh, the Redwoods? Have you seen the Redwood Forest? I have not. I saw the redwoods in New Zealand and I laughed because they actually said that it was populated by the seeds of the redwoods in the U.S. And I thought how funny that I came all the way here to see trees that came from the U.S. It's, it's, <laughs> the, the, well, it's, it speaks to the magnificence of these trees because it is, it is awe inspiring. It's one of the, I've done a lot of the things that you mentioned here domestically, but I would say the redwoods, uh, I mean, it's, it's an experience that's hard to put into words because these trees, you know, literally they've been here longer than Jesus. Some of them, you know, it's like they're thousands of years old. They're huge. They're, you know, there was that one tree that you could drive a car through. We ended up driving through, but I think it, it actually just uh, fell down in the last few years. It's been around forever, but magnificent, very like spiritual place. It takes a little bit to kind of get up and out there, but uh, that's, that's pretty wild. You should definitely check that out. And I have to mention, cause I'm from St. Louis. Uh, I was trying to think of like, well, what are the things that people would come to St. Louis for? Obviously the arch, if, if you're familiar with that, um, is kind of cool, but there is a thing here that I think you would really love. Uh, have you been to St. Louis before? I only stopped through. Okay. Next time you, you're here, or you might even actually intentionally come here, um, to do this, but there's a thing called the city museum. This guy, uh, this artist ended up buying these abandoned warehouses, multi-floor abandoned warehouses. And he was looking, you know, sort of in the downtown area and was like, how do we, how do we make this into something that's attractive? And because uh, they're just kind of old and falling apart and all this stuff. And, and he started to like, he would go to a junk, um, what do you call it? A, uh, where they sell junk. Junkyard. Where they Junkyard. Thank you. Uh, and he would, st- he just started buying all this random stuff. And then he would, with his artistic eye, he was creating this thing inside uh, this abandoned warehouse and he turned it into this huge playground. It's like a city playground, but with slides and, you know, you'll walk in with your kids and, you know, there's all these interesting things to look at. And then the next thing you know, you look over and there's literally like a little hole in the ground and like a little kid's head will pop up and then he'll disappear. And you're like, what? And you go over there and you go down to this hole and there's a tunnel and then there's a slide and you go to the slide and you're in this whole other level. How do I get back there? I can't go back up the slide. It's like this maze, but it's, oh, it's so cool. It's so fascinating. And there's indoor and outdoor, there's huge, huge ball pit. There's these like uh, wire structure tubes that you can crawl up. You know, you're probably, I don't know, 60, 70 feet up and you're walking through these wire uh, tubes. It's fascinating. It's a beautiful, amazing. Uh, every time I go there, I'm just in awe of that guy's creativity and his vision with this thing. So if you come, you should definitely check it out. It sounds right at my alley. And I'm just going to do a quick shout out to kind of an adult version of that. Cause it sounds like it's a place where kids play, but kind of an adult version of a really cool artist inspired Well, I will say it's, it's a place where dads take their kids often and they're like, yeah, I'll I'll stick with kids. There's, there's adults all over this thing. And, and actually one of the reasons why I like it is it's a little bit dangerous. Like you don't just, cause there's corners, there's edges, there's things that are sticking out. Like you gotta have to be, or it's a little bit darker or uh, it's a great place for kids, but it really is a great place for adults too. I mean, it's, it's a great place for adults to reconnect to the child within, but anyway, go ahead. I will say, I think Meow Wolf is along those same lines, if you've heard of it. No, I haven't. Where is that? It's in uh, New Mexico, Santa Fe, New Mexico. 
Okay. And it was done by George R. R. Martin and a ton of other artists. And it's a kind of murder mystery, weird place. And you go in and you first go into the house and like the family's been abducted. And then you kind of go through these other secret passages and rooms and all kinds of crazy things. And it's really cool in that sense um, because you never know where you're going to be or, you know, I mean, at, at one point you end up on a spaceship. So, I mean, it's really, and there's clues along the way. So you could be there for days and not read everything or see oh, wow. everything to like solve the murder mystery so oh that's cool i'll have to check that out yeah like the, i love those kind of things because they're not the you know everybody has probably heard of the redwood forest or yellowstone or whatever but it's those little those little experiences that i think are cool too that uh, a lot of people miss and they don't hear it unless they listen to a podcast or go onto your blog um what uh what is next for you like what's your next big trip um, so for the next couple of months, I'm actually going to be based out of Puerto Rico. I'm going to be here conducting research, doing some work, possibly launching a second site. I'm toying with the idea of doing that, um, a niche site just on Puerto Rico content, or if I'm going to do that content and put it on my own site and then develop a fourth book or at that point, maybe a fifth or sixth book, because I have an idea for my fourth book um, on Puerto Rico content specifically. Uh, I think this is an island that needs the tourism, and especially at this time, and there's a lot to discover here. Americans do not need a passport to get here. It's really cheap to access, and there's, I mean, five, three of the five luminescent bays on Earth are here in Puerto Rico. I mean, you have Pink Lakes. You have the second largest zip line in the world. Um, the first one is by the same brand and is in Dubai. Um, I'm sorry, the second largest what? Zip line. Oh, zip line. Got it. Mm -hmm. Through the mountains. The first one's in Dubai. It's by the same company. Um, so it's really a great place for adventure, nature lovers, uh, families, people who come on a cruise, people who want food, you know, people who want to party, have music. There's a lot of culture here. So for the next Can couple you, of months, you, you accidentally moved your mic a little bit. Can you pull it just a little bit closer? To me? I apologize. Yeah. Um, is, is the infrastructure like intact? I mean, are, is it, is it good to come back now as a tourist or the, the hotels are backing up and running the, the, you know, the local transportation, all the other infrastructure, is it? Or do you still have to kind of navigate around some of that? So local transportation is already, as it is, kind of non-existent. I would always recommend getting a car in Puerto Rico unless you're staying somewhere walkable like Old San Juan in the cruise port area, um, just because it's easiest for you to get around here with a car. But the roads, this is American roads, American road signs, you know, some things are still recovering in the same way that when I was in Florida and we were hit by the same hurricanes, it maybe took a while before a sign got back up or a light or something like that. Um, but all of the hotels are back up. That's definitely the first ones to recover, to get electricity back, to get the majority of the funds directed to them. So if you're in one of those areas, you shouldn't worry. And I'm outside, well outside the tourist area right now. I'm about an hour outside of San Juan. Um, and I've had no issues getting to and from the area, you know, going to access all the stores around here. Um, everything has power. So I, I definitely think that it's ready for people to come back. Um, Puerto Rico has had a lot of hurricanes in the past, so they know how to deal with them and they will keep going because life has to keep going. Yeah. Um, I just think that it's people that are more scared of what it might entail to go into a recovery zone, but it's not the, the typical, it's not a place that's never been struck by a hurricane before where the entire highland comes to a standstill. It's not like, you know, Alabama or something like that. So, <laughs> it's, um, Sorry, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's fine. A, I'm sure you'd figure it out, but yeah. You know, <laughs> <years ago. Exactly. laughs> um, all right. So, uh, Jen, this has been an awesome conversation for those who are interested in finding out a little bit more about you. Can you, um, tell us the titles of your three books on Amazon, please? So 
people may can find you? Absolutely. My first book is The Affordable Flight Guide, and it's on how to, tra- um, how to find cheap flights and travel the world on a budget. The second book is called You Need a Vacation, How to Travel with a Full-Time Job. And the third book is called The Solo Female Travel Book. All three are on Amazon. You can just Google my name, Jen Ruiz. Awesome. And your website, jenonajetplane.com. Um, Jen, awesome conversation. If you do come to St. Louis, give me a shout and uh, we'll show you the city museum. But otherwise, I will be a fan and a follower now. And uh, I love all these ideas. I'm going to expand my bucket list. Thanks oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks again. It was an awesome conversation. Thank you, Peter. All right. Take care. You too.